0: advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I found today's guest on YouTube and really connected to his Qigong practice. He shows beautiful scenic backgrounds and practices that really energized and centered me. His name is Nick Laffrey, and he teaches bioenergenetic health practices using Qigong, biohacking, functional training, and dietary therapy to bring people to their highest potential. Nick started on this path while healing from paranoid psychosis and chronic skin and gut disease that began in adolescence. He now helps thousands of people around the world to achieve optimal health through his videos, coaching, workshops, and programs. Welcome to the podcast, Nick.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Can you tell my listeners a little more about yourself and your work?
1: Sure. So I see my job as uh, testing all the weird stuff so that other people don't have to. (laughs) <laughs> and coming back with what works, and uh, that involves doing a lot of stuff that really doesn't work, because That's there's a lot true. of there's a lot of woo-woo, a lot of a lot of just you know dietary philosophies that are just based on that like philosophy and not necessarily reality. on what actually works in reality. Yeah. <laughs> so I went through it all, and as people can tell from my bio, I had to go through a kind of rough period that set me off on this path. And the reason I had to try so much stuff. That didn't work was basically I, I just had a problem that wasn't supposed to be curable. Actually, I actually had a few of those. So I wound up with uh, paranoid psychosis as a teenager, got put on a bunch of medication. And generally the prognosis is you're stuck on medication it's for life. Good for that, yeah. Yeah, you're going in and out of uh, psychiatrists for the rest of your life, getting checked up on. And uh, luckily we caught it early and the medication did help. But I basically wound up with like eight other problems <laughs> because of the medications.
0: Are you serious? Oh my god.
1: Yeah, so a lot of it was physical like eczema and acne all over my body, the I lost the ability to digest all kinds of things. My liver was so congested that like breathing hurt, <laughs> just the diaphragm touching my liver hurt. But a lot of it was also psychological. So these, you know, psychiatric medications, you know, create, created a pattern of depression and ing- this bounce back and forth between t- severe depression and severe anxiety that lasted for years. And so even without the psychosis, I still had like these like pretty big hurdles to jump. And to be honest, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I want my uh, psychiatrist to hear this, but when I got (laughs) off the medication, I wasn't really cleared of the psychosis. I had just figured out tools for myself to manage it and decided Mm -hmm. to get off the medication because there were so many side effects. But if you ask the official literature or the official notes, the psychiatrist took, I was free of symptoms but that was just the only way to get off oh, of them. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So so I had to go through all this stuff and it meant I had to try a lot of things and that helped me land on a few things that really seemed to work. And a lot of those things are out there. So <laughs> it's where I see myself, this kind of bridge between this like confusing, contradictory world of nutrition and this kind of woo-woo, you know, new agey world of like energy medicine stuff and bridging that into what actually works and what's actually practical.
0: I love that. It's like making experiments for yourself. Yeah. What works, what doesn't. Yeah. That's fantastic. So how did it bring you to the holistic realm, I guess? Was it just you felt disillusioned with traditional medicine?
1: Yeah, it actually started before I had the psychotic break. Not really so much the medicine side, but I was, I mean, a lot of the reason I, wound up psychotic was I was experimenting with a lot of drugs and a lot of that was psychedelics and psychedelics are a double-edged sword right like LSD can make you psychotic or it can make you enlightened briefly you know and I was getting a bit of both and so most of my early experiences with psychedelics was giving me these like profound experiences of healing and uh, spiritual connection and you know realizing like, Oh my gosh, why am I, why do I have such a bad relationship with my parents? I got to fix that. And Oh my gosh, I should study hard and go to school and listen to my dad. Like all the, the, a lot of things you wouldn't expect psychedelics to do was happening, like making me want to study harder and things like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like realizing, Oh my God, my parents were right. And stuff like, you know, kind of the opposite of what people normally think about on psychedelics. So part of it was this like spiritual stuff that was opening me up to. And that And then me and my friends who were doing that, we got into listening to Alan Watts, the the Zen philosopher from the 60s and 70s. And so that kind of opened me up to the like Eastern spirituality stuff. Actually, The Simpsons was my first experience with that, was when Lisa Simpson becomes a Buddhist. And (laughs) at the end, her mom gives her uh, like a tree, a a Bodhi tree to meditate under. And so the whole episode didn't impact me at all until the tree. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God, I need to get that tree. I don't know why. And I was like 15 and I'm like Googling like Bodhi tree, where to buy a Bodhi tree. And I couldn't find where to buy this tree, but I just found all these websites explaining Buddhism. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. So I got into it.
0: I think you're the first person, I think, to find Buddhism through the, the senses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first I've heard of
1: <laughs> Yeah. I love it. Uh. Uh, I like to say maybe it was a past life thing, like the recognizing the tree or something.
0: Yeah, uh, that connection.
1: Yeah, you never know. But anyways, so that kind of opened me up to that. And then when I went through this uh, psychotic break and I'm getting put on medication and I, I just was, I was a little frustrated with the way the psychiatric system was where there wasn't even like talk therapy as part of it. Like, it's not like they sent in like a therapist, a counselor or somebody to help me like process the emotions I was going through in relation to my experience. It was just, here's some sedatives, here's antipsychotic meds, we're going to stick you in a mental hospital for a few weeks and just hope that, like, chemically we reverse what's going on. But nobody wanted to, like, talk to me about my experience.
0: That's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. The talking was mostly just to take notes on whether the drugs were working. But I'd been through, like some like emotional shocks and traumas. And I think that was a big part of what triggered the psychotic experience was just this chronic state of anxiety that made me hyper vigilant and paranoid. And so I felt like getting to the bottom of those traumas was like probably the, uh, path that would be helpful but it was i just found it super weird that like it wasn't even being offered
0: and that is strange yeah and like almost
1: actively yeah. shut down like talking to the okay. psychiatrist they, they would get all uncomfortable like oh my gosh why are we talking about like your personal life I, I, you know i just want to put you on these medications and, and you know right numbers with and boxes yeah and that kind of changed once I got out of the mental hospital, but in the mental hospital was like completely like that. That's and so amazing. I was getting a little frustrated amazing. and I was like, what could I do for myself? Like, they're just giving me pills, but like, what can I do? And because I'd been exposed to Buddhism and stuff, I was like, well, if the problem is like my brain and my mind, like maybe meditation would help. And I was fortunate. My mom was like just going through I'm not sure she was a yoga teacher yet, but she was like getting into yoga or something at the time. I think later she became a yoga teacher because she was getting into that. She knew a bit about that stuff. And so she was going to the library and picking up books on meditation and stuff and bringing them to me in the mental hospital. And so that was pretty life saving to just have something I could actually do for myself, something I could read and educate myself on to give just some sense of like empowerment over the whole thing. And when I got out of the mental hospital, I started pushing that really hard, just like I would meditate as much as I possibly could and listen to lectures about Buddhism and Taoism and stuff as much as I could in, in between. And I just went really went after it. And to be honest, it wasn't super helpful, uh, the meditation, because the way I was going about it, and later I learned different styles of meditation that were more about you know regulating the nervous system, relaxing, things like that. Yeah. But at the time, I was going down this kind of hardcore, like, Buddhist path of like the whole point of meditation is to make your mind totally silenced to find that one pointed mind. So I was was going at it from this like really like warrior mentality and getting basically no benefit, but at least it gave me something to do. And it's really hard to meditate when you have voices in your head yelling at you about what a piece of shit you are too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That can be counterintuitive too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I kept going after it and uh, eventually I had this experience where I really did actually get my mind to completely quiet. I was doing this meditation, sitting next to this river and just listening to the sound of the river and putting my mind on that over and over. And eventually my mind did actually completely get absorbed in that sound experience of the river and probably only was quiet for like 30 seconds, maybe a minute tops. It kind of was hard to keep track of time But in that quiet, basically, like the traumas and everything that was under the surface, now that the conscious mind was completely quiet, there's all this room for the unconscious mind to come to the surface. And so it basically surfaced as like an archetype, this like demonic mutant figure, just like representing all my pain and everything that was below the surface, just came up to the surface and just showed me like, this is what you've been feeling, you know, this is what's been underneath and driving this psychotic experience. And as soon as I was able to see it from like the outside now, it immediately dissipated and was replaced with what the Buddhists call insight. So you may have heard of like the Vipassana yeah. meditation, mm-hmm. which means insight. And so the whole point of this quieting of the mind is to generate these insights. And so there was this like huge shock of this like demon archetypes coming up. And then this immediate relief of it just dissolving and being replaced with this insight of basically self-love and self-acceptance.
0: That's fascinating. And yeah, I
1: basically spent like 20 minutes just crying and just pouring snot into this river. It was very relieving, but it was interesting. Like the the way of getting there was this very intense form of meditation that was completely unproductive until this experience of insight. And afterwards, when I tried to go back and meditate, that experience was so intense, like the shock of that coming out of me was so intense that I could never get myself back to that quiet mind state again. Because every time I started to feel myself go back there, I was like, oh, crap, is like a demon going to like come out of me again? Yeah, and I get all worried and I start yeah. chattering again. Yeah. <laughs> so... And around that time, I basically discovered my mom actually was brought me to a yoga class, and it was my first yoga class. And I was like completely blown away by how hard it was. I I imagined I had imagined yoga in my head as like a bunch of like moms like rolling around on the floor or something. (laughs) And uh, when I did my first one, it was like a level two ashtanga or some stupid thing I shouldn't have done as my first class. But I was just amazed like what a workout it was and how much like sweating toxins out of my body. How Good that made me feel at the end. And I was like, oh my God, this spiritual stuff can actually make you feel good, like instead of like it being this like hardcore thing that like you don't get results for like months. And so I got addicted to yoga like right off the bat. And the meditation was starting to feel kind of weird. And I was like, well, let me do do this yoga thing for a while. And, And that started to put me down more of this path of like, it really hadn't clicked for me before how much my physical reality impacted my mind. And so yoga was the first way of like discovering that. Like, oh, when I sweat out toxins, my mind feels clearer. When I heat my body and stretch.
0: You needed that physical. Yeah. Didn't you?
1: Yeah. And that grounding getting me out of my head and out of this. Because a lot of what the psychotic experience was, I realized it took me a while to realize, but it was basically just like being on a low dose of a psychedelic all the time. But, and the thing about psychedelics is if you resist them, and get scared, you have a bad trip. And so it's like you're basically directing the trip by how much you resist it. And if you don't resist it, and you just let go and let the trip happen and and let it unfold and show you what it wants to show you, generally you have a good experience or an experience that could be construed as good in that it's healing, even though it might be painful for a while or something.
0: I've not heard of that before. That's an interesting perspective.
1: Yeah. So basically I started to realize like, A lot of this came from yoga the the being in shavasana and that conscious relaxation at the end and actually being able to relax made me start to realize that when that psychotic state started coming up i could fight it and get paranoid and wind up in this battle in my mind or i could relax into it like it like i was on you know a low dose of mushrooms or something and usually if i relaxed, i would have a really beautiful experience and what was like, you know, voices <clears throat> telling me all sorts of awful things and stuff like that would turn into like beautiful visions of like, usually it was very spiritual visions of like Hindu gods and Native American symbology and all this like stuff would just sort of paint itself in my mind. I would have these blissful experiences in my body and it, all it really took was surrendering into it. And y- yoga really helped me. To Yoga's learn that. a
0: lot about surrender too. Yeah.
1: Hmm. So I spent a couple of years doing yoga, and the weird thing was how long it took me to realize how much my food was impacting my health. By this point, I'd all, the side effects of the medication had really taken over, and I, I was just covered in skin problems and digestive problems and brain fog. It got really hard to like think clearly about anything. And uh, I can't really remember exactly what tipped it off, but I I remember feeling so stupid when I realized like, oh wait, eating McDonald's and KFC (laughs) and, you know, giant plates of like 20 chicken fingers for lunch probably isn't making my body or mind any healthier. (laughs) And, uh, And looking back, it's like, it's so hard to imagine how like that didn't, that wasn't just intuitive to begin with, you know, it's so weird to think. But basically, you know, because I was in yoga, a lot of people in the yoga world are like vegan and stuff. And so I got into veganism, raw veganism, you know, green smoothies, juice fasting, all that kind of stuff. And I found a lot of that stuff gave like temporary benefits, like fasting would like really clear my mind a lot. It would get rid of the brain fog a lot, but then the anxiety levels would be really high. So I was basically like choosing between like, oh, do I want to be like depressed with brain fog or really anxious, Aranxious. but with a really clear mind. Yeah.
0: <laughs> pick one. I was
1: kind of like, yeah, I was bouncing between the two and, and it just took me a long time of like figuring it out. I, I realized veganism wasn't working for me because my digestion was just so weak. I couldn't digest all that fiber from beans and uh, okay. plant foods and everything, but it took me a lot. I was really stubborn too. Cause I was, I've always been into like nature stuff and environmentalism and, you know, veganism really markets itself as this, you know, pro environmental diet but I think it's probably better for the environment in a lot of ways. But it contributed to me being a little more stubborn with it. And I still think it's better than eating uh, McDonald's and stuff all day, but I don't think it was really going to like heal me the way I needed. And uh, eventually I got into more like the paleo diet, which seemed to be more helpful because it's kind of main goal is to lower inflammation and provide foods that are easier to digest. And you can actually assimilate nutrients and because I had a really weak digestion and a lot of autoimmune stuff going on, like the eczema, and eventually realizing like most of what was wrong with my brain was inflammation uh, in my brain, it seemed like the uh, autoimmune oriented anti inflammatory diets seemed to play a big role in helping that makes things sense. out. Yeah. And eventually I stumbled into this guy named Ray Pete. And uh, he teaches this really interesting diet. It's is is, actually where I got the word uh, like bioenergetics from.
0: That's why I, I wondered where that came from. I had trouble saying that. I had to practice. Uh,
1: yeah, I think you said <laughs> bioenergetics en- 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 and I was like, oh, no, no genetics involved. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
0: Takes a minute to say that. Yeah,
1: so he's a biologist with this very obscure following. It's, he doesn't have a big following. It's not a big diet like vegan or paleo or something. It's this very niche thing. And he has a lot of counterintuitive things, even in, in terms of like alternative medicine he goes against the grain a lot and so when i found him i was like really skeptical like i don't know this guy says omega-3s are bad for you he says uh serotonin actually a stress chemical not the happiness chemical he had just all these like weird things. He says sugar is really good for you and complex carbohydrates are bad for you. Like there's all these like weird That's things. Kind of
0: a, that, you're told, right? Yeah, I go
1: totally against even alternative health stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'll try like one little thing of his at a time and like see if it works. But the reason I was drawn to it was actually because his like the underlying philosophy that he painted was this bioenergetic philosophy that Completely meshed with my understanding of Chinese medicine, which I have to add to my story completely, but basically yo- I got a few injuries in yoga and had to find a substitute and got really into this Chinese healing art called Qigong, which is basically like a subtler version of yoga. So the, you're doing a lot of movements, but instead of the movements being like all oriented around strengthening and stretching the body, they're more oriented around regulating the nervous system. So it's like a little bit more direct towards that mental healing component that we're trying to get out of yoga. So it's not trying to give you like a six pack (laughs) and get you like hyper flexible while you're healing your emotional imbalances. It's just going straight to the emotional stuff for the most part. So I got really hooked on that. It really helped on that healing path and it became like the main thing I teach. But anyways, the Qigong comes from Chinese medicine and the underlying philosophy of Chinese medicine is that the notion of Qi, life energy, is supporting all the body's structures. So there's a balance between structure and energy. So when you have good structure, say in Qigong by setting up good posture or in diet, giving your body the right building blocks, then those structures support the flow of energy. And when that energy is flowing, it supports the structures in the body in maintaining themselves. And also another underlying philosophy is that when you have more stress, it actually decreases your energy. So a lot of people think like, You know, all being stressed is just part of getting things done. You're going about, you're being all frazzled, making sure everything gets done, and stress is just a part of that. But in Chinese medicine, they basically say the opposite. They say, well, the stress, it gives you this temporary boost of energy that ultimately depletes your energy, and so you wind up just running your reserves down more and more. Whereas when you have low stress, you're more efficient with your energy. Your mind's not racing. You're thinking more efficiently. Your emotions aren't as up and down, burning away your energy. And everything you do just becomes more efficient. So you're actually getting more done and have more energy when there's less stress. And I would never found any like Western, you know, scientific framework that really encapsulated that, at least in terms of any of the kind of natural health stuff, until I found Ray Peat. And he basically had the same philosophy, but instead of like chi, he was talking about like the free flow of electrons through the cell, maintaining the structure of the cell and switching from cortisol and adrenaline as the primary sources of energy in your body, so basically your stress hormones, so switching from an adrenal-based uh, source of energy to a thyroid-based source of energy. So if you raise your the function of the thyroid gland, it lowers your need to be dependent on the adrenal glands, and so you go from a stress source of energy to a sort of relaxed but energized state. And, wow, I how, yeah. you know? and I just couldn't
0: believe, yeah,
1: I couldn't believe how close that was to the Qigong philosophy that I was like, it was okay, all coming well,
0: together, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. And so even though I was kind of like, well, I'm pretty sure he's wrong about serotonin being a stress chemical, because everything I've ever seen shows serotonin is like the happiness chemical. And I'm pretty sure he's wrong about omega-3s causing inflammation, because everything I've seen says they cure inflammation. Cool. And uh, so I was really skeptical going, those aren't his only ideas, those would probably just be like his more controversial ones. Although his idea that like people with anemia actually have like too much iron, he has all these like weird ideas. And I'm like, man, I'm not like a chemist, like, I don't know how to like fact check his ideas except to like test them on myself. And I basically felt like Qigong and paleo diet and everything had gotten me like 80% of where I wanted to be. But there was always this like nagging like 20% of like, you know, if I slipped off the diet for like a day that, you know, the acne would all just come rushing back, like everything would just come back so easily. I just felt like the health was still so fragile that if I did everything right, like I could keep myself in a good place. But like, why was it so fragile that the second I did something wrong, like, why could I still not digest dairy? Why could I still not eat grains? Like it just seemed like you should be able to at least once in a while slip a little bit and not have this perfectionism. So I was curious what uh, this totally like weird diet and philosophy could do for me. So I started getting into it. And uh, at first it didn't work super well because he basically recommends like getting off of uh, car- carbohid- like complex carbohydrates, like like grains and even potatoes and sweet potatoes yeah. for the most part and switching to more sugar as your fuel source. So whether that's actual white sugar in like everything, <laughs> or just eating fruit instead of um, yeah. root vegetables or whatever, was so all this weird stuff. And I went up like just putting on a bunch of weight and uh, the sugar was like making my acne come back. But diving into it for a while, it basically realizing because he doesn't lay it out super well. He's a scientist. He's not like, a, he's not a big like teacher, like his role isn't to Demystify the science and put it into a yeah system that people could use. His thing was he would just write an article like once a month with all this like complicated stuff. You figure it out. Yeah, it was like that. And so I found some other guys like Danny Roddy, Matt Blackburn, Georgie Dinkov. There's Kate Deering. There's a bunch of people who like have basically taken his work and turned it into like systems that can actually be implemented. And so it was oh the first step wasn't to like just eat. 2000 calories worth of sugar every day you know the first step was to you know increase my vitamin a stores by eating more liver so that i didn't get acne when the metabolism started rising in uh, relation to the sugar intake and so there's all this like weird complicated stuff you had to do but basically i just kept finding like everything i implemented from him just started working so like weird stuff like taking penicillin as a way of digesting dairy So apparently, yeah, there's like a certain bacteria in the gut that makes it so you can't digest dairy. And if you kill it with penicillin, all of a sudden, like I wasn't getting constipated from dairy. And it's just all these like weird things. And every, I was surprised by every single one. So I knew like it's not placebo, like pushing these healing effects. I genuinely went in like super skeptical and thinking everything I tried wasn't going to work. You're
0: really brave, though, to Uh, uh, to take on these (laughs) different things. I mean, wow. Talk about Uh, lifestyle changes.
1: Uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's always a journey. It's always learning. But I, yeah, it's just it opened my mind to this whole new uh, way of looking at the gut even and and the brain and the way brain chemistry works.
0: Well, I guess the gut health and mental health, there's a big connection with that, too. And
1: yeah, exactly. And people don't uh, really don't put that together. I, I mean, I'm sure in this kind of world they do, but it's not weird. Always. It's weird yeah. how the thing that has became eventually it seemed the strangest to me about the way society generally thinks about mental health is as though like your brain or your mind is somehow totally disconnected from your physical reality and like what you eat and your exercise and all those kinds of things, they have no impact on your brain. <clears throat> your brain is just like separate thing, like in a vat in on like another planet or something, and it's not related to yeah. your digestion or anything like that. And it's so weird that it's like this fringe thing to like think about your diet for your mental health.
0: Yeah, and all, it's all connected, uh, interconnectivity yeah. with everything. And
1: Yeah, well your brain you is just a part body. of your body. It's just another organ. So what, like if your liver wasn't working well, You might expect that might have some downstream effect on your kidneys or something, right? It wouldn't be a a big leap uh, to think that, right? Or if your stomach wasn't digesting food and stuff was going through undigested, it wouldn't be a big leap to think, oh, the small intestine below that might get some trouble with undigested food going in there. It's so weird that we don't think of the brain in that way, at least outside of the kind of holistic uh, world. That's
0: true. So I guess did the qigong and the diet changes, did that help your mental health and physical health overall?
1: Uh, Completely. Yeah. It's amazing how much control we have. Like, I can basically choose whether I want to be depressed, anxious, or even full blown, like paranoid, psychotic, or go to the total other end and feel totally blissful, loads of energy, relaxed, happy. And you can really choose that based on just lifestyle stuff based on just how you move, how you breathe, how you organize your life, what you're eating. It's amazing. You can go from one end of the spectrum to completely the other, just based on your actions.
0: And I love your Qigong because I know it, it seems like you use some yoga in there too. I know you, I looked on YouTube yeah. today. I know you have some meditations in there and you have mm-hmm. so many for so many different kinds of issues. It's just fascinating to me how all that yeah. can come together in pr- different practices.
1: Qigong itself really encapsulates a lot of things. So like I I went through a lot of different training, right? Meditation, yoga, breath work, all kinds of stuff outside of Qigong. But then inside Qigong, all that stuff was already happening for like thousands of years. So, you know, yogis in India, Buddhists from Nepal were traveling to China and teaching the Taoists and everything there. And so all these practices totally got mixed up and, and blended together in all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of styles of Qigong you could find. Some are going to be more like yoga. Some are going to involve martial arts that uh, go back to all the way back to India Mm -hmm. to very old martial art because all kinds of things like that were already happening. So I leave it to guess in my videos. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You you can guess did
1: I get this from yoga or from Qigong? You never know.
0: That's why I try to wonder (laughs) as I do it. But I love it because I, I also have some injury and I can't do full yoga practices but the yoga mm-hmm. that I, I teach clients in therapy is more the gentle yoga and I know you mentioned the nervous mm-hmm. system and and it also mm-hmm. calms the nervous system because it's all about mm-hmm. the slow mindful movements but she also exactly. taught my teacher taught some of the qigong was in there mixed in and you know we did some mm-hmm. acupressure like the whole holistic I guess you could say part of that that's why I was so excited to find your qigong I thought you know this would be awesome to teach clients as well to have that integration. I like your whole philosophy on integrating so many different things into mm-hmm. one practice. Because it is finding what works for you. And, and if you're teaching mm-hmm. other people what they may benefit from, if that makes
1: sense. And yeah, having a good toolkit.
0: Toolkit, that's it.
1: Yeah. Qigong is so nice because you can do it all it's just standing. It's just in a yeah. small space. And just move your, wave your arms around and stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wave your arms around. I love how you
1: put it. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nice to like at work. If you're at work, you're like wearing a yep. suit or mm-hmm. something and you, you want to take just a quick break, five, ten minutes and do something to reset. Qigong just has a lot of nice tools for that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah.
0: So what do you think about therapists learning this to, to use with clients? Do you think that would be beneficial? And-
1: oh, yeah. It's so good. I mean... Body based stuff is so great. Like talk, talking, talk therapy, very That's useful. Yeah. yeah, giving clients something they can do on their own just to hit the reset button, I think is. Uh,
0: yeah, I love that. I hit the game. reset. I mean, button.
1: I'm, I'm biased, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, but yeah. I imagine that if you would have had a therapist at that time when you were going through all this, that could do talk therapy and do some somatic stuff, is what we call it, and do some movement. Yeah. I'm sure that that could have maybe even helped you sooner on your healing journey.
1: Yeah. And people love it. They they love the idea of something they can do for themselves.
0: Yeah. Like and that's even, empowering.
1: Yeah. Just like the feeling of like, all right, I've got my thing, it, whatever it is. Like I'm going to make this smoothie every day, or I'm going to do this quick exercise every day. And just that feeling of confidence that comes from that, like that feeling like I'm moving forward is going to break some of that depression or anxiety or whatever it is to begin with
0: oh yeah
1: regardless from the actual effects of the thing just the feeling of having something you can do is uh powerful
0: but i find your videos too just wonderful with the locations because i'm just find myself just looking at oh my god look at that beautiful (laughs) mountain and lake it's so soothing too visually (laughs) Uh, how do you find all these beautiful places
1: uh, it's pretty easy. You can just use Google. I often, uh, I use a landscape photographer's websites.
0: Oh, good idea. That's basically what I'm
1: doing is like, it's like landscape, landscape. photography with a person in the middle moving. And, uh, so I just look up like best landscape photography locations in Northern California or in Idaho or wherever I am. And they even, they even give me the best shot to like, here's the best angle to like shoot it from. Oh, wow. I'll, I never go, I'll go and, to I'll go and that. find that exact location. They did it from, I'll, I'll find some little landmark, some like log or something.
0: Wonderful. So what <laughs> yeah. what do you do daily for as far as holistic strategies, part of your daily routine? What do you
1: use? I don't have to do a whole lot of like stretching practice because I'm teaching Qigong every day with yoga. So a lot of my like kind of flexibility, opening the body sort of stuff I'm getting just from teaching. So most of what I'm doing is more of the kind of inner work of like Qigong, these like standing meditation, seating meditation practices, some of which is called Nagong, where you're sort of directing your qi with your mind, if that makes sense, in your body. So a lot of sort of more esoteric work like that, usually a little practice in the morning, a little practice in the evening. And then I'm doing my diet, which is basically this, you can see, it's almost like the light version of the carnivore diet. So the, I don't know if you know about the carnivore people. No. They're, they're, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah there's a, so there's the vegan right i know there's like the opposite yeah. which is carnivore okay. where hmm. they're basically using it for mostly autoimmune conditions which largely get driven by the gut so they're eating like, it's, it's like all these people that all they eat is like steak or something <laughs> usually like grass-fed beef is what they're big on mm-hmm. and it winds up like clearing all these autoimmune conditions that are seem like really? i would philosophize that i would guess that they're based on like gut bacteria fermenting vegetable fibers and things like that in the gut and then that fermentation getting into the bloodstream and causing issues and i think that's why the carnivore thing that works
0: but yeah
1: Yeah. but i think there's better ways to do it so like ray pete's bioenergetic diet i think achieves the same thing without having to be that like crazily restrictive. And there's all kinds of like problems with like eating that much meat too. You don't want to get like, you're getting way too much of certain uh, amino acids that can be carcinogenic. and oh,
0: It's all about balance.
1: Yeah. Like way too much iron from the, the red meat that you're not balancing with calcium if you're not consuming dairy or eating uh, calcium rich plants. So eventually a lot of these uh, carnivore people landed on this like light version of carnivore where you're still getting carbohydrates by eating uh, fruit. And so it's basically like you're eating like fruit and meat and that's like the whole diet. That's like honey like, Wow. Or yeah. So my diet's kind of similar to that, but a little more like nuanced. There's also like uh, dairy. Dairy basically blocks iron absorption. So if you're eating like red meat and you have dairy with it, it blocks the calcium blocks some of the excess iron. But I basically don't really eat much vegetables. The vegetables I eat are technically fruits. So I eat like squash. So like well-cooked zucchinis and stuff, because the philosophy is that fruits want to be eaten because this, they want animals to spread their seeds. That's why plants grow what we call fruits, put seeds in them so that make them delicious and easily digested so that animals will eat them and then go poop the seeds elsewhere. Things that we think of as vegetables, but that are really technically fruits. So I would include like things right. like zucchini mm-hmm. and tomatoes and things like that. So I basically eat like well-cooked versions of the fruit-like vegetables as my vegetables and so that involves like no uh, greens, no leaves, things like that, and and then I eat actual fruit for my carbohydrates, dairy, and mostly ruminant meats. In ruminant being like the like sheep, cow, goat, elk, things that eat grass basically. And so that's the basic diet. And then I have like a supplement regimen that's a little bit more complicated that I won't yeah. get too far too much into. That's okay. But, but that's the the basis of like the. But that helps diet.
0: you is what it sounds like. And-
1: yeah, it it seems to be just incredibly gut friendly. There's no plant foods with indigestible fibers. There's no phytotoxins like the toxins that plants make to keep themselves from being digested by animals. And that just, I, I'm not saying that's the perfect diet for everybody. I, I'm really into oh, the no, idea definitely. that everybody's body is going to be a little different. Their knees are going to be a little different, but it seems to be what worked super well for me. Like you
0: said, yeah, exploring and figuring out what works for you. Sometimes you do got to try separate things and figure out what your conditions are and talking to your doctor too and
1: seeing what's best.
0: I know you have a teacher training as well. Can you Mm -hmm. share a little bit about that?
1: Uh, Yeah, this is my first time running it actually. Up till now, I've been helping my Qigong teacher run his training. Basically, his students go through it, but because he has so many students, he can't really work one-on-one with them. There's just too many. So he sends them to like the senior instructors to do one-on-one sessions as part of their uh, teacher training experience. So I've been doing that for a few years. And then this year, I decided to try to launch my own and decided to run it online since I had a reasonable uh, YouTube audience and everything to market to. And I figured I'd get like, you know, three or four people or something. Yeah. I was like, there's no way that many people want to do a Qigong teacher <laughs> training. Not with me. One day they could do it with, you know, my teacher, who's like this amazing guy. And uh, But I wound up with 45 people signed up. And, That's
0: amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, I was pretty amazed. And so I've been doing that for the first time, which is a lot of work doing it the first time because you're trying to oh, figure yeah. everything out or you're making a lot of mistakes and but I made it a cheap. I made it a lot cheaper than most teacher training. So
0: yeah, because I looked it up online. Kinda, I was like, yeah. whoa,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like the beta version, you know. It's like the test experience. So yeah, I had a lot of really awesome students. They're, they've been very forgiving of uh, <laughs> where where I've had technical issues and stuff that I'm trying to figure out. I'm sure. So but it'll be it it should just get better every time I think it's really good I I also get hard on myself about the technical stuff because that's what I used to do for a living was film and things like that yeah that's how I wound up doing my apprenticeship with my teacher was trading him like a lot of work like that so I get nerdy about it
0: (laughs) But yeah, that's that's amazing though that you're able to already get started with a teacher training on your own and but to reach like a whole global audience with doing it online is amazing.
1: Yeah, it's really fun. We get people from Europe and South America and Southeast Asia, and what's crazy is I I don't actually have like a huge YouTube following. It's like seven thousand followers or something, which I guess sounds like a big number if you don't do YouTube. But <laughs> on YouTube, that's like oh I know, I know. following you know. know but. The fact that I can, you know, YouTube will run ads on your videos and send you a little bit of money,
0: <clears throat> oh.
1: but with 7,000 followers, that's like a really small amount of money. Yeah. But it yeah. seems to be enough that if I make my own e-courses, my own online trainings, yeah. that I if I'm going market those, I can actually make a living doing it, which is really fun.
0: Yeah. So what's a takeaway you could share today that could help listeners who are starting their holistic journey?
1: Starting small. It can get really confusing the the nutrition stuff can be super super confusing there's so many philosophies and diving into one it's a lot of work to get really strict with it so i think for most people just starting small starting with small changes i'd say for me nutritionally if i had to recommend one thing the thing that had the most impact on my brain specifically and my state of mental health was cutting out the, what we call the PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids, basically like your vegetable oils. So your cottonseed oil, soybean oil, corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, canola oil. These are basically just like the cheap industrial oils that are cheap to mass produce. They used to be used in paint because they <laughs> oxidize so quickly and turn into a solid that it doesn't take a lot to turn them into the paint substance. So as soon as you paint it on the wall, it's a liquid, and then they oxidize in, at just room temperature and turn into the solid on the wall. In, in the year 1940, the uh, paint industry figured out they could do it a little cheaper if they replaced those seed oils with petroleum products. And so all these seed oil uh, manufacturers had to figure out some way else to sell their product. And so they funded a bunch of studies on how you know seed oils are better for you than you know butter yeah. and saturated fats, basically. And uh, that's basically where, where the whole thing started. And uh, so ever since then, we've been using those and they're way cheaper. So every, almost every restaurant you're going to go to is using those oils just because they're cheap. But because they oxidize at room temperature and your body is way hotter than room temperature, it just creates a lot of oxidation and inflammation in the body. And I think that this is one of like the few things that is starting to get some like consensus in the Dietary world, most things everybody's just arguing about all the time. This is one of the few, aside from, I think, the vegans, because they don't want to eat butter and animal fat, which is more saturated, that they tend to push for this unsaturated fat thing or polyunsaturated fats. I think for the most part, it's getting
0: yeah, some, some more consensus
1: ingredient. that this causes a lot of inflammation. And definitely, in my it's own experience, general. yeah, it seems to just my brain just works 10 times better without it. Yeah, definitely oh, that okay. with a lot of clients. They seem to notice the benefits when they change their oils yeah. too. So.
0: so what's the best way?
1: So switching over, so saturated fats like coconut oil and butter. Okay. And even some animal fats like like beef tallow, the fat from cows, not all animal fats are going to be like pig has a lot of polyunsaturated fat. So eating a lot of bacon, which I'm not sure why the, the keto bulletproof people advertise a lot of bacon when they say polyunsaturated fat is bad for you. And then they tell you a yeah, bunch of bacon, which is sense. just loaded with polyunsaturated fats. I don't know why they do that. Yeah. So pig fat, chicken fat, cold water fish fat is all going to be a lot of polyunsaturated fats. So sticking more to the the, the ruminant system. animals is more saturated. And then like, yeah, your, your coconut oil, olive oil is monounsaturated. So it's more stable.
0: That was my question. Yeah.
1: That's the biggest switch I'd make. And also just because it's in everything like those seed oils are like if you start just reading product labels they're in everything they're in bread just because, because they're basically not food bacteria doesn't want to digest them so they use them as like a preservative oh, so they put okay. them in, in bread and crackers and everything it just to keep things the shelf life longer so if you start looking for them you find them everywhere and to cut them out you basically clean up your whole diet just by cutting them out because you stop eating most processed foods you Basically, clean everything up if you just focus on that one just thing. focusing
0: on that, yeah. So, yeah. what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? The best way
1: to find me, just uh, my YouTube channel has lots of great stuff, mostly around movement and stuff. I haven't been, I haven't really, I've only been really going out the YouTube for like a year. So, I've been focusing on mostly Qigong and things like that. So, you're going to find a lot more of that there. Coaching, I do a lot more with nutrition. So, if you want to do one on ones with me or anything like that, you can go to my website, just com. It's just my name. Same with my YouTube channel. I just put in and Nick Laffrey.
0: Show notes as well.
1: Yeah. And then wow. I have an course on my website called Stoic Sunrise. And that makes it really easy to just start making a habit out of, you know, healthy movement practice, meditation. It simplifies it down to like a short period of time each day. It's like 15 minutes a day. It's called Stoic Sunrise because the idea is creating this like healthy habit in the morning. And it's basically a course that just takes you through like seven days of trying to implement this healthy movement stuff and breathing exercises in the mornings. And there's a few lessons on uh, nutrition, more from the Chinese medicine, sort of traditional medicine perspective. And mostly just, again, refining your morning routine, getting a healthy uh, morning and nutrition-wise. There's a few lessons on that.
0: And that that makes it really easy to start a healthy
1: lifestyle. And just choosing one period of your day. It's not like your whole day you're obsessed with your health. It's just the start Mm -hmm. of your day. You focus on that and the rest you can just chill.
0: Well, thanks for coming on today, Nick.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Super fun. Thanks for
0: sharing everything. And I thank you for listening today. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. And again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Until next time, take care. If you're loving the show, will you rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform? We just started this, and that helps other people find this show. Also, if you're feeling uncertain about your modalities and you want to build your confidence to be your unique self, I want you to join my free email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor, over at HolisticCounselingPodcast.com. In my Becoming a Holistic Counselor course, you'll get tips for adding integrative care into your practice, what training you need and don't, and the know-how to attract your ideal holistic clients. If this sounds like the direction you are headed, sign up at HolisticCounselingPodcast.com.